Oh, ho, ho, good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever. Uh, as you can see from my attire, it is really close to Christmas time. Um, funny enough, because I have a misshapen head, this thing actually kind of fits well, which is interesting. Uh, anyway, um, if you can take me seriously wearing this get up, then great. If not, then I don't know, whatever. Uh, but for the record, I hope everyone has a great holiday and a New Year's and whatever else. So that being said, always lots to cover. Let's get moving because there's things that are worth moving on to. First off, a uh, very interesting article uh, that was published talking about SSH. If you're not familiar with SSH, go look it up. But the novel Terrapin attack, which turtle, I guess, uses prefix truncation to downgrade the security of SSH channels. This is significant. Like this is a pretty um, legit big deal. And there's a reason for this. And I'll show you why this is a particularly you know big deal here as well. Um, if you're looking at uh, problem space, SSH is massive. So let me just read a little bit around here. So, uh, so SSH does lots of things. Meet Terrapin, name Terrapin. There's a hack that works uh, when an attacker has an active adversary in the middle. Adversary, sorry, in the middle position on the connection between admins in the network, and they remotely connect to. Also known as a man-in-middle attack, which this happens all the time. Uh, this can be difficult for an attacker to achieve. Yes, it's not super easy to get to. It's one of the scenarios in which SSH was thought to be immune. However, Terrapin basically rips that to shreds. At its core, Terrapin works by altering or corrupting information transmitted in the SSH data stream using uh, during the handshake. The earliest stage of a connection when the two parties negotiate the encryption parameters they will use to establish a secure connection. So if you're not familiar with how SSH works, go look this up, but it's pretty simple, but it's also pretty powerful because this is everywhere. The Terrapin attack targets the BPP, which is Binary Packet Protocol, uh, which is designed to ensure that adversaries with an active position can't add or drop messages exchanged during the handshake. Terrapin relies on prefix truncation, a class of attack that removes specific messages at the beginning of a data stream. So essentially what they're talking about is this is a way of kind of taking over the SSH connection. Now, you might be wondering like, well, what's the big deal, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as I like to do, let me do a little bit of shodening here. Um, and just run some queries to see how big the SSH thing is. So if you're not familiar with SSH, typically port 22, there's people that do do different ports, but let's just say that's the standard. You run a, a pretty simple dork in Shodan. Uh, you're looking at about 28 million, 28 million, million SSH things on the internet that are probably misconfigured. Also, interestingly with these, you can see their key, um, which is not good. No bueno. In the United States alone, if I vector in a bit more, we're going from 28 million down to 8 million. So, okay, super. Uh, 8 million of those. And then you can look at the organizations that are in here. And some of these products that are in there, OpenSSH, about 6.5 million. DropBear, 129,000. Uh, we only do SSH, another one. But then they're also operating systems, Ubuntu, Linux, Debian, FreeBSD. Now the question to ask is, what are the things that run on those? Those are not typically like desktop-y type operating systems. There's like servers and whatnot running there. So that's a real problem. And the organizational side, when you look at the SSH problem in the United States, obviously there's a huge one around the cloud providers. So let's just write those off and say that that's just a, I don't know, a tangential problem to solve later. But if we start looking through this at uh, organizations that are probably a little bit more um, 
I would call it um, concerning. Like you see things in here that have SSH misconfigs from uh, internet service providers, from uh, mobile service providers, from universities, uh, medical stuff, like basically everything that you can think of that's connected to the uh, internet somehow or another, you can find an SSH misconfig. So this is like huge giant thing that needs to be addressed. Um, yeah, San Diego Supercomputer Center. That's probably not good. Um, so this is a giant problem and the scale of this is pretty epic in nature. Uh, if you have SSH out there and your developers are using it or you're connecting via whatever else, this is where ZTNA can help with this stuff. Um, this doesn't have to be the misery biscuit that it looks like, but yeah, how many folks will go fix this problem? Um, how many folks would like to take a bet that sometime in the next quarter, we start seeing attacks that are basically tied to this very exploit. I'd put some money on that. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, so yes, SSH is a problem. That's a good article. This one's in Ars Technica. Uh, it was published, um, on the 1219 by Dan Gooden, who's an awesome author. Uh, interesting article on the register, uh, Quackbot's Backbot, kind of on the cheek. FBI-led takedown keeps criminals at bay for just three months. This is exactly part of the thing that I've been talking about and that other folks have been talking about. Quit saying you took them down. They're not took down. That's not the right English, English. But they got, uh, I guess, disrupted would be the better way. Multiple sources are confirming the resurgence of Quackbot malware months after the FBI and law enforcement agencies shuttered the botnet. They didn't shutter shit. They just moved around to another hosting infrastructure. Microsoft Threat Intelligence uh, reckons a new Quackbot phishing campaign is active as of December 11th, but the attack attempts are currently low in volume because they're spinning up, would be my guess. The gang targets the hospitality sector initially using e phishing emails containing malicious PDFs that look like they come from the IRS. When opened, the PDF presents a target with an error screen indicating a preview of the documents available, and then a button for download this thing from Adobe Cloud, and then you get fucking pwned. Um, Clicking the button, the PDF led to the download, leads to the download and installation of Quackbot, which Microsoft said may have been may have an updated payload. Probably does, because they had they had got disrupted and they've had time to re-engineer. The previously unseen version OX500 was generated December 11th, according to analysis. The team at Zscaler Threat Labs with a Z confirmed that the payload was updated and the new version has a 64-bit architecture, wah wah, uses AES for network encryption, uh-oh, and send post requests to path slash T-E-O-R-E-M-A-505. Proofpoint also had some researchers confirm they had spotted updated Quackbot activity, and they said that they're minor tweaks. We call those software upgrades or features. Um, Quackbot was, quote, taken down, which it wasn't taken down. It was disrupted, and now they're back. So point being here, um, anytime you see a publication that says that this organization was taken down, they're not taken down. They're just inconvenienced, disrupted. They'll be back. Um, there's money behind this. There's massive market opportunity. They're not taken down. Uh, if Santa's going to give you a gift, Santa's gift is the reality of this is that they're coming back. Um, unless you, I don't know, blow up the building that they're all sitting in, which that's not going to happen, or you happen to physically arrest all the individuals in that organization, they'll be back. In Arnold terms, they'll be back. Right. So just 
I mean, that's the thing. Um, does I, I personally think that the government and these law enforcement organizations should stop saying we took them down because it just kind of makes you look stupid and it really uh, hurts your position that you're doing things that matter because when you cry a wolf and then the wolf comes back around, it's not necessarily the best look. Yeah. Um, cool. The 2023 threat landscape. End of the year, everybody's putting their end of the year stuff out. I'll be putting my end of the year stuff out here next week as well. Um, I'll try and do it before I start drinking heavily because, you know, end of the year is drinking time. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I like basically go on a hardcore uh, cleanse basically for like the whole quarter after that because my liver needs it. 2023 threat landscape year in review. This is on Qualys, which actually I found this to be pretty good. So key takeaways. Less than 1% of vulnerabilities contribute to the highest risk or routinely exploited. So this is where if you're patching, like if you're freaked out about patching, you don't have to patch everything all the time. You patch what is exploited. The other stuff you can get to. 25% hmm? of security vulnerabilities were immediately targeted for exploitation with the exploit being published on the same day as a vulnerability. So those are the really weaponized ones. One third of high risk vulnerabilities impacted network devices and web apps. So that's a pretty good area to focus your patching on. Uh, exploitation of remote services and public-facing web applications are the top top ones, basically. Uh, as of this writing, 26,447 vulnerabilities were disclosed in 2023, which eclipses vulnerabilities disclosed last year by 1,500 CVEs. This is probably more indicative that we're getting better at doing this, not necessarily that there's just more. Um, however, here's an important thing to know, not all vulnerabilities present a high risk. In fact, a small subset, less than 1%, contributes to the actual highest risk. That's what you need to focus on. These particularly critical vulnerabilities are ones that have a weaponized exploit. That's, again, focus on those. Not everything is patchable. Not everything is fixable. You can't do it. Unless there's a round in the chamber, the gun is just a piece of metal. I mean, you could beat somebody with it, I guess, but that's not how this works in cyber. So just patch what is actually... Um, needed to be patched not everything all the time i mean you can look at this this graph they have here and i'll put the links to this at the end of the session but you can look at this here and you can see what's actually popping around in there um 7, vulnerabilities had a proof of concept exploit code great but how many of them were actually used 206 vulnerabilities had weaponized exploit code available so do the math right 7206 pretty small number um there were 115 vulnerabilities routinely exploited by threat actors. Of the vulnerabilities observed, 109 had known evidence of exploitation were listed in the CISA KEV. 97 vulnerabilities were exploited in the wild, but were not included in that KEV, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Ransomware groups such as Lockbit and Server exploited 20 of those 97. Top vulnerability types, uh, basically the biggest one is remote code execution privilege escalation, and then buffer, which is buffer stuff. We've been doing that for forever. And then security feature bypass, which is kind of interesting. Meantime to exploit uh, is pretty substantial. I mean, you're looking at the days to exploit and the big number is between zero and 10. So from the time that a, a weaponized exploit becomes available to the time that it's in use, you've got about 10 days, 10 working days, maybe 10 days regardless. Uh, one third of high risk vulnerabilities are found in infrastructure and web apps. So again, where you focus your efforts. 
More than 50% of high-risk vulnerabilities exploited by threat actors and ransomware groups. So of the 206 high-risk vulnerabilities that were tracked, 50% were leveraged by threat actors. 115 by name threat actors, 20 by ransomware groups, and 15 by botnets. So you don't have to, I mean, the, the takeaway, right, is you don't have to patch everything all the time because it's not a good use of your efforts and resources. So don't try to do that. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Um, article on the Hill. This is pretty interesting by Joseph Bosco. I don't know who the cat is, but I thought it was interesting to read. So we cannot ignore China's information warfare any longer. I, I would agree. An important but little known hearing took place on Capitol Hill last week before the House Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. The subject was China's disinformation campaign against the West. And the chairman, Representative Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin, laid out the challenge. Challenge. Blah, blah, blah. In Xi Jinping's view, the war has already started on the most important battlefield, your mind. The CCP calls it cognitive domain warfare, part of their larger political warfare strategy. Sounds like TikTok. Gallagher quoted from a handbook of military political work that President Xi invokes to motivate his subordinates. The crumbling of a regime always starts in the realm of ideas. Changing the way people think is a long-term process. Once the front lines of human thought have been broken through, other defensive lines also become hard to defend. The regime that Xi and his no-limit strategic partner, Vladimir Putin, openly seek to crumble is nothing less than us, the U.S., right? The United States and other Western countries have belatedly uh, awakened to the more conventional aspects of multidimensional challenge for communist China, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, this article is worth reading, but the, the, the takeaway is they're... We're the only ones playing by the rules. Uh, China, uh, I would say that TikTok is an influence engine. Um, I've watched the, the the news lately, and there's been lots of um, stuff about like TikTok and grandparents and TikTok for good and whatever. Any system can be used for good or bad. And TikTok, I totally could be a very valid system that helps people and educates and um, raises money and whatever. Sure. However, there are things going on that people should be aware about of the back end side of this and why it's being put where it's being put and then how it's being uh, used by our youth and the impact that it's having. I mean, I, your, your kids and whatever else, I personally would say, don't let your children use TikTok. Um, I think that it causes way too much influence. I think that it is built to cause that influence. And I think that collectively, um, the dumbing down of the United States occurs via digital media. Um, the movie Idiocracy was a documentary, not a flick. And we're seeing it in real time because uh, we have a generation of people that are just not built for the realities of life. Uh, there's actually a TikTok group that I saw was posting out um, recently that was talking about why you shouldn't join the military in the United States. And it was soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, Space Forceians, space space foresights, gar whatever guardians. I don't know. Space 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 force was blah, 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 that were basically saying why you shouldn't join the military, and it was getting lots and lots of views. It was obviously being amped up by an algorithm on the back end. Now, why would that occur? Well, because the back end side of that CCP is over there trying to not have our young people join the military because we know we need them. Our recruiting is down like thirty percent in most. Groups. I think even the Air Force is down by like 15 to 20 percent. So they post that message out there and drive it and it continues to get championed and influencers do it and whatever else. And it becomes a thing. So, 
you know, we're, we're seeing the weakening of our youth in real time and it's very disturbing. Um, or at least it sure as hell should be. If you ask me, uh, I know I'm just one tinfoil hat weirdo, but well, actually right now I'm a Santa hat weirdo, but anyway. Oh uh, yeah. Um, Ukrainian, this article is an RBC Ukraine, which I had to do a little bit of digging to find this, but this is a good article. Ukrainian hackers breach Rosvodokanal. Rosvodokanal sees data of Russia's largest private water utility. Ukrainian hackers reportedly with support from the security service unit, SSU, sought revenge for a recent cyber attack on Kiev Star, which was their infrastructure provider, and destroyed the IT infrastructure of a major Russian uh, water system provider. Hmm. A powerful cyber operation was conducted by hackers affiliated with the Blackjack Group, reportedly with the SSU specialist in Ukraine. Um, they gained access to a large number of documents. They encrypted about 6,000 computers. They deleted 50 terabytes of data. Uh, so following that attack, the operations at that water plant were disrupted. Um, so, I mean, here's kind of what the takeaway is for this is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk for a long time about cyber not being a kinetic thing. Cyber is very much a kinetic thing now. So you've had Russia that did its cyber stuff in Ukraine that was targeting dams and water supplies and et cetera. And now you've got Ukraine going back and doing the same thing in Russia where they can find targets of opportunity. And there's an escalation of force that will probably likely occur here because what's the next thing to go on? Um, you start doing that in water systems. The next thing you do is maybe go after financial systems, et cetera, healthcare. I mean, this can get really bad really fast and cyber levels the playing field. Um, cyber makes it where a small force can have a massive impact at a national level. Like it's kind of the closest thing you could think of to biological weapons or nuclear weapons in some, uh, in some thinking, um, because you can have that level of impact, like shut off electricity for the United States, shut off electricity to LA for one day and watch the fucking chaos break out, shut off water in Las Vegas for three days and watch what happens. I mean, the escalation of force will follow that. Um, you know, and then the question now becomes too, in my mind, like, well, what happens if there's a oopsie, like, what if you're a Ukrainian operator thinking you're going after a Russian water source company, which is, I guess you could call it a valid target in the realm of cyber warfare, but you accidentally go after something that provides medication or whatever to, you know, the populace, is that a war crime? Uh, what if you accidentally screw up and you go after a connection that is tied to communist China? Does that give China the right to escalate and come after you? If you're Ukraine, do you want to be at war with Russia and China at the same time? You know, there's many, many moving parts of this, and it's exceptionally difficult to not screw it up. So super concerning, in my opinion. Um, and this is, uh, we see the escalation taking place here. Um, again, I think that cyber is the bridge between espionage and kinetic operations, but now we're starting to see that cyber during kinetic operations can be a force multiplier, um, which won't take long for other countries and organizations to figure out they want to get in on that game too. Talking about disinformation, matter of fact, article in BBC, how pro-Russia yacht propaganda influenced the U.S. debate over Ukraine aid. So literally false information and social media influencing conflict and political standing. A website founded by a former U.S. Marine who now lives in Russia, 
uh, we used to call those traitors. Is, is that not a thing anymore? Anyway, has fueled a rumor that Volodymyr Zelensky purchased two luxury yachts with American aid money. Despite the false claims, the disinformation plot was successful. It took it took offline, uh, it took off online, and was echoed by members of the U.S. Congress. Super, thank you, boneheads making crucial decisions about military spending. Uh, it was an incredible assertion using two advisors as proxies, Mr. Zelensky, and this is according to the story, paid $75 million for two yachts. But not only has the Ukrainian government flatly denied the story, the two ships in question have not even been sold. So yeah, again, thanks Congress. Despite being false, the story reached members of US Congress where leaders say any decision to further aid Ukraine will be delayed till next year. Some are vehemently opposed to the support on X, which is, Totally where you should be doing all of your stuff. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a bastion of intelligence and not crazy at all, said anyone who votes to fund Ukraine is funding the most corrupt money scheme of any foreign war in our country's history. And look, I'm I'm not a political party person. Like I'm a member of a mind your own fucking business party. Um, I think that the two party system is like trying to pick up a dog turd from the clean end. But here we are. And of course, MTG linked the story containing the yacht rumor. And then it goes from there. Tom Tillis, a Republican senator and supporter of military aid in Ukraine, spoke to CNN uh, after he had a closed-door meeting with Mr. Zelensky, so he literally talked to the guy. Um, I think the notion of corruption came up because some have said we can't do it because people will buy yachts with the money. So that's where this story was kind of created, was to create this narrative. Uh, the story first emerged in late November on an obscure YouTube channel, one with only a handful of followers and just a single video in his feed, so it should have been suspect, but wasn't. The next day, it was picked up by a solid called DC Weekly alongside pictures of the two yachts called Lucky Me and My Legacy and documents purportedly confirming the sale of the boats to Zelensky's associates. So all fake, but yeah, the yachts have not been bought yet. But the luxury yacht brokers were uh, both vessels are listed for sale and that the allegations are false. So it's false. The sales documents appear to be forgeries because you can do that digitally. It's super easy. And instead of having been purchased by Zelensky, those yachts are still up for sale, according to the people selling the yachts. Mm. The DC Weekly story touched off a blaze of online speculation with multiple sources linking the story and uh, content citing it on multiple platforms. However, the site is not, as the name implies, a weekly publication, nor is it based in the US. So more fake shit. Research by Darren Linville and Patrick Warren, disinformation researchers at Clemson, shows that it was started, the site, DC Weekly, was started by John Mark Dugan, a former U.S. Marine and Florida police officer who moved to Russia in 2016. I wonder if him and Steven Seagal are like hanging out and eating donuts together. Mr. Dugan spent three years as a deputy with the Palm Beach Sheriff Office, and then he left in 2009, started a website spreading rumors about his former employers. Since moving to Russia... He's reinvented himself as a journalist covering the invasion of Ukraine and sped, spread rather a number of false and baseless claims, for example, that Russia was attempting to destroy biological weapons labs. Um, DC Weekly, the Clemson researchers discovered, is full of news stories copied from other sites and rewritten by artificial intelligence engines. Boy, the story just keeps getting fucking worse. The site's reporters have fake names along with headshots copied from elsewhere on the Internet. Hmm. Mixed in with the rewritten notes, apparently designed to give the site a sheen of legitimacy, are dubious original reports. Yeah, so this is a disinformation campaign. Yep. Uh, earlier this year, Mr. Dugan was identified as being DC Weekly commentator when he gave several talks at an academy affiliated with the Russian Foreign Ministry. So, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> I mean... 
this is, you know, this is the new norm. This is what the future looks like, where you can be somebody that has the wherewithal to set this stuff up and be willing to throw a little bit of um, kerfuffle into the mix and just let the media marketing engine and the constant churn for if it bleeds, it leads, do whatever. You tie it in with bots and you tie it in with fake social and everything else and you create a narrative. And then because there are some assholes who happen to sit in the halls of Congress and whatever else, uh, grab onto it and they tweet it to their millions of followers. It's a real thing. And then you're voting, you know, you're causing a, uh, a problem with the vote to get money to people that are literally fighting one of our national enemies, Russia. So one jackass with nothing else to do other than touch themselves in the dark and, you know, cry about not being promoted to the sheriff's office in Florida has managed to systematically impact our ability to deliver aid to Ukraine. Yeah, that's the new normal. Um, that's where this stuff is going. It's going to happen more often. And they're tying in large language modeling and AI and all kinds of other stuff. The scale of it just gets even crazier. Um, buckle the fuck up, people, because it's it, we're not ready for this. Uh, and my dogs, of course, have been quiet all day, except for when I'm on the phone, because that's just what they do. I think that there's like an electromagnetic signal that comes out that goes to little dogs, and then they get it, and it just says, I need to bark for no reason. Uh, Wall Street Journal, cybersecurity. Uh, Cyber attack on ion derivatives unit had ripple effects on financial markets. Um, actually, the article that I should have pulled up, because sometimes you click on the wrong thing, uh, is this article that the Wall Street Journal put out, which is really regulators get tough on cybersecurity as crime soared. So there's just a listing in this of the many things that happened. Um, talks about Suffolk County. Uh, it talks about the fact that they spent five million bucks to basically recover in Suffolk County. Um, it also goes into the cybersecurity strategy. Made, uh, former Uber Technologies, Sullivan, like there's all this stuff in here and they kind of keep talking about, you know, what's going on and they get into the SEC getting involved here. Um, and then now that, you know, New York has got a cybersecurity strategy which promotes stricter regulation for critical infrastructures, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then it also talks about MGM. Like there's basically what there really should be saying in this article is that the same stuff continues to happen and the government is trying to throw regulations at it and it's not actually making a lick of difference. Like that's the, the crux of what should be there. Has any of the SEC regulations made a categorical change in what's going on in cyber? No. Have any of the compliance requirements that we currently have in the space made any categorical changes in cyber? No. Why not? Well, because they're paper things. You can paper whip them and get through it. As long as it's a self-attestation, at the end of the day, what good is that? Like, I'll self-attest on a piece of toilet paper and scribble something down and send it to you. And if you accept it, great, I'm certified compliant. But it doesn't really make a lick of difference. Um, until we have real standards in place and punitive measures and those types of things, this will just continue. I think the SEC getting involved in the things that they're doing now are probably somewhat valuable because people are scared of the SEC. I don't want to mess with the SEC and I won't mess with the IRS because those are the, I mean, shit, the IRS got Capone, right? But I mean, the reality of what's going on here is more regulation does not mean shit in the digital space if there's not teeth behind it. And the funny thing too is there's so much get out of jail free here, but in reality, there shouldn't be that much get out of free because this is one of the few spaces where you have these amazing things called logs. 
you typically know the entirety of the series of events that led towards something going sideways and you should be able to use that. But because it's this nebulous cyber thing and we're a bunch of nerds and we live in the computer world or whatever else, it just doesn't translate well. Um, is 2024 going to be different? No. Uh, maybe by 2030, things will start getting different. But I mean, but the time we catch up, we're so far behind. You've caught up to where we were five years ago. So unless something really um, categorical happens very, very soon, it's just more of the same. Like if I if I put my end of year wrap up together, I could say in one word, 2023 was the year of duh. Like, yeah, duh. All the same stuff that we've had happening for years on end continued to happen. Duh. Now, I'm hoping that 2024 won't be another year of duh. But my guess is 2024 will be the year of meh. Same shit happened. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yes, I wore a Santa hat because I said I would. Yes, I look like an idiot because I'm fine with looking like an idiot. Um, uh, whatever. Anyway, as always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. May the Lord bless and keep you over the holidays. If you're celebrating, if you're not, then I don't know. May he bless and keep you anyway. Uh, New Year's is coming on, and I will do one more of these before the end of the year. So, yeah. Um, thank you for your time. God bless. Stay smart. Stay safe. Stay secure. Ho, ho, ho. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.